Welcome to Think Jewish. I'd like to start with thanking sponsors. We have very dear friends of our organization, Bruce and Rivka Goldstein, that actually are presently living in Japan, that are sponsoring today's um, lecture. So I'd like to thank them. Also, we have an anonymous uh, sponsor for this uh, week's um, fresh refreshments. And of course, I want to thank Kalanit for always putting this together. Thank you very much. I also, I do not know the full name, my apology, but something very personal to me because two of his children are my children's classmates. So I just want to dedicate today's class to the Carroll family. Um, a young man who passed away uh, and they're sitting Shiva and I went there today with my son and my daughter spoke to their daughter over the phone. I'd like to really give them condolence and may Hashem give them strength to pull through this very difficult time and may this class be in schut of his soul. If there's anyone else who quickly wants to mention a name for a Fuwa Shalema, please just say out loud uh, the name and the person's mother's name. Is there anyone who has someone they want to dedicate this class? Vakasha? Moshe Ben Devora? Moshe Ben Kayla. Anyone else? Abigail Batshimol. Saralea Batrivka. Anyone else know someone that needs a recovery? Again, please. Blume, Ruchala, Bat, Mercedes. May they all have Miriam Baschanatova. May they all have a Rafur Shalema. I'm sorry? Dania Ben Amalia. Okay. Um, you know, as the class grows and there'll be more names, I think what would be appropriate to do is we'll have a pad and just go ahead and when you come in, put down the names and then at, uh, we can just read off the names. Okay, today's class. Today's class is actually not an easy class. It's going to challenge a lot of issues that we speak about in Yiddishkeit. Uh, do you know that this Shabbat we blessed the new month of Elul, the final 12th month, sometimes 13th month, the final month of the Jewish calendar year, and Rosh Hashanah is right around the corner. And the Rosh Chodesh Elul is going to be on Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, the month of Elul has huge mystical teachings to it. Uh, interesting enough, I just want you to know that the names of the Jewish calendar was not made by Jews. If you look in the prophets, the scriptures, or in the Torah, you'll always find numbers. On the first day of the seventh month, on the 15th day of the first month, doesn't say names. Yet nevertheless, we learn out very interesting mystical teachings from many of the names. From the word Tishrei, Reshit, without an Aleph and a reason why. There's many, Nisan, miracles. There's very interesting teachings of the month itself, the name of the month, what it means. Kislev has very interesting teachings. But in the code of Jewish law, I'm not talking about a mysticism now, in the code of Jewish law, on the word Elul, there are many acronyms. And these acronyms aren't just plain acronyms, they're actually telling us what is the main focus of the month of Elul. So there's a word, there's a verse that we all know, Anile Dodi Vedodi Li. The first letters of each one of those four, four words is Elul. Ani, Aleph, Lidodi, Lamed, Vidodi, Vav, Li. You have other verses in the Leodi Vesamtiloch. There's different verses, and all these verses have a very important meaning. One verse talks about Torah study, 
One verse talks about Teshuvah. One verse comes from Megillat Esther about giving gifts. It's about charity. And they're all telling us what the real focus of this month of Elul is all about. So these aren't just plain acronyms. The one we're going to focus on now is Anile Dodi Vedodi Li I am unto my beloved and my beloved is unto me. There's going to have to be some introductions to this class. The title of the class, as you saw, that was sent out is Elul, God's Search for the Jew in the Desert. So we're going to have to back up a moment. I want to just set the scene academically and then more experientially. Ani dodi vedodi li, say our sages. Ani dodi I am to my beloved, refers to the 30 days of Elul. Because that's when I am searching God. I am doing Teshuvah. Vidodi li, and my beloved is unto me. We are taught by our sages that that refers to Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days of Teshuvah, Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are part of the 10 days, but we call it that way. Rosh Hashanah, I said it, Yemei Teshuvah, and Yom Kippur. So the month, the word Elul, which refers to the verse, the, the acronym of the verse, we just heard something which is problematic because the second two words are part of the acronym of Elul. But we just said it isn't part of Elul. It's Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. How does that work? There are answers. But the Rebbe, in this one teaching that I'm sharing with you, he says that no matter what answers you're going to give, that Elul is a preparation for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. You know, everyone, everyone yearns to have this amazing spiritual experience on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And many of us complain that it didn't happen. Of course, many of us immediately complain about who? The rabbi and the cantor. One, other, or both. Because it's their job to make it spiritual. Not quite the case. For you to have a spiritual Rosh Hashanah, you're going to have to have a very meditative Elul. If you're going to tell me that the month of Elul, you are running around, taking care of, you know, everything, and the all important stuff. We have to do our vacationing. We have to get our kids into school. We have to make up for our business office, deposit a link on our desk. And then Wednesday morning, we're going to go at least catch a half a day of work, run home, quickly shower, get into our suit, come to Shul Wednesday night, Rosh Hashanah, it's going to be very hard to be spiritual. So the month of Elul, the Ani Dodi, is the foundation and the preparatory work which allows us to experience the Vedodi Li of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. So some say, okay, so that's why Vedodi Li is part of Elul because even Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur experience depends upon what? Upon how serious we were in the month of Elul. Okay. However, in this specific teaching that I built this class on, the focus over there is that no matter what you do, Vav Lamed, Vidodi Li is part of Elul, so there has to be an Elul experience of Vidodi Li. Now, this all sounds pretty much Japanese, maybe because it's sponsored by our friend in Japan, but let's make it sound real, okay? There's two ways of service. 
There's what we call from below to above, and there's from above to below. What's the difference? The difference is that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, whether you did or didn't have a meditative Elul, you're going to be touched. Very few people are going to walk into Shul, Rosh Hashanah Elul, uh, Rosh Hashanah, I'm sorry, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and not be touched. I mean, of course, after we take apart everyone's dress and clothing and suit, and after everyone does the fashion show of being seen and seeing, there's going to be a moment somewhere where it's going to hit you. You know, when the chauffeur blows, you're going to stop thinking about everyone else, and you're really going to think about your relationship with God. Why does that happen? Because the aura, the spiritual experience of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur will touch your soul. End the story. If you want to know the exact Kabbalistic words, it's called Kiruv Hanitzutz El Hamaor. You guys ever had a campfire? You'll notice that the fire, the mother flame, draws in sparks. Sparks are drawn into the mother flame. So, so too, every one of our soul is a spark. The mother flame is God Almighty. When God Almighty reveals himself in the slightest way, what happens to the spark? The calling. We get pulled in. So Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, just the mere fact that we're alive, will in somehow touch us, each in their own level. Why? Because it's from above to below. All you have to be is not fighting it. By the way, the mere fact that you have to fight it also tells me that you're touched by it. You know, in Chabad, we don't worry about the anti-religious. We worry about those that just don't care. Anti is a relationship. If you hate me, that means you don't ignore me, that there's something going on between us. So we're not worried about the anti as much as we're worried about those that are just apathetic. We just don't care. Okay, no problem. God, yeah, no God, no God, no problem. Okay. But Roshaniyam Kippur is going to touch each of us simply because the mother flame is revealing itself. And thus, we are reacting. That is the above to below relationship. The below to above relationship is where you don't have that feeling. It's where you have to start digging. And very often, it doesn't come from a spiritual experience, but rather it comes from a very empty, dry, depressive experience. And you just had enough. I just don't want to go on living like this. So if I don't want to go on living like this, I have one or two things to do. Call up someone and quetch, or do something about it. And when I want to do something about it, that's called what? From below to above. I am searching for God. It wasn't that this most incredible spiritual experience happened. It wasn't what we spoke about last week, a spiritual awakening. It was just on the contrary. From a place of dryness, to quote King David's famous verse, which is a very famous song, in Chabad Lubavitch, taught to us by the Rebbe, blessed memory, nafshi, my soul thirsts for you, in a parched and dry land. So where does my thirst come from? Not from the spiritual revelation, not from God's caressing me, but rather from the emptiness. That emptiness, that dryness, that sort of depressive state, that I want to get out of. So from there I start building up. The month of Elul is from below to above. 
the, the time of Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days of Teshuvah, Yom Kippur, is from above to below. Okay? Now, we understand that there are two different things. The Vav Lamid, which means, and my beloved is unto me, what we're going to focus on tonight is a very unique teaching that there's two different type of and my beloved, capital B, is unto me. There's the one from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur that embraces me, caresses me, arouses me, and brings me into the relationship. So who's doing the work? God. My spiritual awakening on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is not the outcome of my work. It's the outcome of God's work. Then there is the other type of, and my beloved is unto me, and that is Elul. So God is coming to me, and yet it will not affect me. I will not be reacting to God, but it will be there. Thus you heard me say in the title, the month of Elul is God's search for the man in the desert. Introduction number one. So far, so good, my friends? Okay. Introduction number two. What is the difference between my beloved is unto me of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Aseret Yimei Tshuva, and the month of Elul? So to understand this, there is the famous parable of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, which many people today of all different affiliations refer to, and it's called the King in the field. It's a famous band that made a song about it, the king in the field. So let's, let's understand the dynamics. We're talking about two revelations. One embraces me, arouses me, and draws me in, and one doesn't. It's just there if I'm ready to take it. When we talk about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, what do we keep on saying in our prayers? We talk about God sitting on his throne. The king in the throne room, on the throne, the amazing countenance of the king, just being in that aura, I'm automatically going to react and have a relationship with the king. So thus, the revelation of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur it reaches out and grabs me. However, here's the problem. Who's allowed into the king's throne room? The words in the mystical teachings is, Mufkharim, Anashim Yuchadim, chosen, handpicked. Not everyone is allowed into the king's throne room. In our language, Tzadikim. The righteous holy ones, they stand in the king's throne room. The rest of us, not. So thus, all the greatness of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, as great as it may be, it's not available to everyone. But to those who it is available, it will bring you in. Let's talk about the king in the field. The words to the parable is very important. It says, the king is in the field. 
he is receiving mikabel. He's accepting anyone, anyone, not chosen, anyone to come and greet him with a smiling face. And then it says, and he shows them a shining countenance. Just amazing aura of the king. However, the king is in the field and the people will or will not choose to come greet him. And obviously the aura, when you see a king in the field, he's not dressed up in his glory. His glory is in the palace. So on one hand, the greater aura is in the palace and therefore it affects you, whether you like it or not, but it's only for the chosen few. The king in the field, the aura is weaker, but it's available to everyone, but it's not here to affect you. You need to decide, the king's going to be in this and this place, I'm coming to see him. I'm going to put down my tractor, or whatever I'm doing, my cell phone, my stock market monitor, I'm going to leave my office and see the king. Okay? Introduction number two. Introduction number three. I'm sorry for all these introductions, but this is not this is not an average class. This is a very a very a very powerful teaching. And just to jump ahead of myself, while all the mystical teachings talks about the person in the field, this teaching is talking about the person in the, the desert. And we're going to soon talk about that. That will be my last introduction number four. So understand that this is not your average teaching. Introduction number three. And this is going to be important for later. In the world of Kabbalah, the highest, the highest level of the human infrastructure is the reflection of the supernal crown known as Keter Elyon. The supernal crown of God is made up of two dimensions, the inner dimension and the outer dimension. Known to us in human language, will and power. I'm sorry, will and pleasure. Will and pleasure. The external level of the crown is will, the power of will, I want. And you know that it's the power of the supernal will because even in plain secular teachings, we say if there's a will, there's a way. Ratzon, will is powerful. Don't get in the way of a person with a will, a willpower. And on the other hand, there's also pleasure. Pleasure is the deepest level of the human psyche. If you want to know what I'm talking about, watch your children fight versus watch your children getting along. When your children get along, you don't get up and dance, but the feeling of deep inner pleasure rests upon you. When you have children that are fighting nonstop, serious fighting, not talking to each other and all the other stuff, the aggravation reaches the deepest core of your heart. Pleasure and its opposite is the deepest dimension. Now, in both these levels of the crown, and tonight we're going to focus on pleasure, 
But in both these levels of the crown, there is in each two levels. I know it's getting Kabbalistic, but bear along with me, guys. It's, it's all going to come home. There is a type of will or pleasure that is built upon a cause. I want this because someone explained to me how much easier and more fulfilling my life will be if I have this. So there's a logic to it. The will is as great as the logic. And then if I realize I was wrong, I don't want it. Or if there's something else that's even deeper, I want that more. And the same thing with pleasure. So in the world of Kabbalah and Hasidut, the Jewish mysticism, there's a level of, I love you because of what you do for me. That will, I want you. Why do I want you? I want you for many reasons. If we're going to jump into the ethics of our father, he talks about two types of relationships. One that is dependent upon something and what is not dependent upon something. If my will for you is dependent upon what you do for me, stop doing it for me and what's going to happen? I'm going to stop wanting you. While if I want you for no reason, I want you just because I want you, then no matter what happens, that want will never change. It'll never weaken. The same thing with pleasure. There are certain things I don't know why, but they just talk to my very essence. It causes pleasure. Then there are things that cause pleasure for a reason. The difference between pure and not pure, the difference between the want and the pleasure, which comes from I want you because of or I want you not because of anything. Total two different dimensions. One comes from my essence and one comes from my infrastructure. One is changeable, one is non-changeable. Introduction number three. Last introduction. Number four. There's the city. The city is called the place where humans dwell. If you look what the word for human is, Adam. What does the word Adam mean? Adam has many, two major definitions, but there's many teachings. The one for tonight we're going to focus on is Adam comes from the word Adame. Adame means it is like. Why is the human called Adam? Because he was created in the likeness of God. So when we talk about that this is the civilization of man, what are we talking about on a spiritual level? Tell you exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a place where there's yeshivot, where there's shuls, where there's women getting together to do chesed, where there's mitzvot happening, that's called in Kabbalah language, a city. Why is it called a city? Because humans live there. What does it mean that humans live there? They're living in the likeness of God. They're studying Torah, they're praying, they're doing Jewish living. What is the field? The field is not where people live. 
However, the field is where people go and create the produce that gives sustenance to the people who live. So the field already is not where you should be living. You go there to earn a living, bring it back home. Simply speaking, any woman who's married to a workaholic understands the pain of when a man moves into the field. And the same for a woman. Because you need to live in your city. You need to live in your likeness to God. But because the manna stopped falling for whatever reason, we need to go out into the field, quote unquote, and earn a living. But don't make the mistake of living in your field and visiting your home. So when we talk about in the field, we're talking about people who slipped, got a little confused with priorities. Instead of living at home, we moved into our office. So the connection with our Adam, with our human image, the likeness of God, is being challenged. However, the worst of all is the desert. Because the desert is barren. It is completely barren of spirituality. Worse than that, if you look how Moses in Deuteronomy describes the desert, he doesn't just say that no humans live there. He also says what does live there. Akravim and Nechashim. Scorpions and poisonous snakes. So the desert is the person who is a sinner disconnected from any form of human likeness. In plain simple English, we're talking about a human who has lost his divine image. Divine image is described by studying Torah, by praying, by doing Jewish things. All those concepts, that's what is our divine image. When we go and get caught up with work, we're trying to climb the corporate ladder, then we're challenging our human image, but we have not lost it. We still come home for Shabbat, let us say. But once the person has completely disconnected with his divine image, he's moved into the desert, barren of any type of divine image. Not only that, he dwells amongst the poisonous scorpions and poisonous snakes. We're talking about the Jew who has completely disconnected with the divine image. Four introductions. I told you that the parable says that the king in the field. Now, if the title says Elul is God's search for the Jew in the desert, then why does the parable say that he went to the field? And the answer is because the king does not go to the desert. But if the king doesn't go to the desert, then he's not searching for the Jew in the desert. So why did I give the title, Elo, God's search for the Jew in the desert? Maybe there is this point of no return. Maybe I have so lost my divine image with God. I have so severed my relationship with God that at this point, even in the month of Elul, when God's coming out, 
making himself accessible, I'm not on his guest list. Why am I not in his guest list? Because the king goes to the field, which in itself was a descent for the king. But the king is not going to the desert. Thus the question is, on the title of tonight's class, he's not searching for the man in the desert. So far so good? I want to talk about this concept of the point of no return because we don't like talking about it. And we always talk about that no Jew will be left behind. Every Jew is uh, savageable. Every Jew is, even though he sins, he is a Jew or she is a Jew. The very word Yisrael stands for the highest levels. Yasharkel, Sarkel. We're talking about the greatest relationship with God. The word Yaakov, which means heal, is the lower level. And when we say that a Jew, even when he sins, he's a Jew, we don't say Yaakov, even when he sins, he's Yaakov. We actually say Yisrael, a Jew, the highest dimension of a Jew. Yisrael, if you listen to the word Yisrael, it makes up two words, li, rosh, my head. Who's saying that? God. We're saying a Jew, even when he sins, he stands in that relationship with li, rosh. We're not talking about the holy Jew. We're talking about the Jew who's in the desert. So what is this concept? The concept is that the Jew in the desert in the deepest level and that's why I told you this teaching is not easy it took a lot of introductions and it's going to shake up a lot of our teachings but we need to understand this and put this in the right dynamic okay most important I'm not saying that everyone should leave this place and God forbid become a sinner because you're about to hear how holy the sinner is but it is important to understand what we're about to say there is the Jew who studies Torah and mitzvot the Jew who studies Torah and mitzvot causes pleasure to God. Therefore, God's pleasure in him, is it pure or is it built upon something? The child who's disciplined, the child who makes you happy, the child who's respectful, who does great in school. Can you give me reasons why you love this child? Yes. So therefore, the love for this child is actually hidden in the lower level of pleasure. Which parent who goes to a PTA meeting and doesn't stop hearing praises is not going to come home and look at his kid and smile? It's a pleasure to go to PTA for this kid. But my other child, oh, yeah. <laughs> PTA is a nightmare. PTA is a nightmare. I can play you the record before I even show up. Every year, the same story. Cannot sit in his chair. Needs to do more homework. Needs to stop calling out in the middle of class. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can give you the list. It's a replay, a couple times a year. What makes me have pleasure from this child?
What you're hearing over here is that the Jew who's in the desert, naked of anything which is a divine image, who is that Jew? Who is that Jew? You know who that Jew is? That Jew is God's only child. Not because of anything or he or she does. Because they have so disconnected themselves. And at this point, I want to tell you a story. There is a Chabad rabbi in Israel. He's actually the uh, principal of the Baal Teshuvah Yeshiva in Kfar Chabad. Amazing person. His name is Tuvia Bolton. And he had a very interesting experience. In 1984, I've told the story before to my community. In 1984, when there was the Lebanon issue, with uh, Israel was suffering with the Lebanon issue, so they took Chabadniks, of course, they into the army. And one of the things they would do when a Chabadnik's in the army, besides doing his regular military service, they would also lean upon them for the morale of the soldiers. A soldier's about to go on a mission, a Chabadnik comes along and puts on tefillin with them, it gives them a morale. So they would wake up the Chabadniks at early time and say, there's a group going out, go. Go to them. One morning, there was a couple of jeeps lined up and they were going into Lebanon. You can imagine that they were nervous. Comes along the Chabadniks and one of the Chabadniks that came along was Tuvia Bolton, Rabbi Tuvia Bolton. Tuvia Bolton walks over to the first guy in the jeep and tells him, Yehudi Akar, precious Jew, you want to put on tefillin? This was the soldier's reply. Get away from me, or I'm going to rip you to pieces. That's the type of answer which closes dialogue, and you move on. So it moves on to the next soldier. Precious Jew, you want to put on tefillin? And the guy sitting there, obviously very nervous, obviously has a family, and says, if I put on tefillin, will God bring me back alive? Listen to Tuvia Bolton's answer, which can only come from a Chabadnik. He tells him, sir, soldier, soldier of Israel, you're going to be brought back alive because God loves you. Now that you know that, would you like to put on tefillin for this God? Put on tefillin. After he goes, finishes tefillin, the first guy says, Boina, come here. He's nervous. I mean, the guy's obviously highly stressed and rightfully so. Puts out his hand and says, put on tefillin. So like a good Chabadnik, you know, first, what's that thing? Carbel diem, capture the moment. We'll ask questions later. Puts on tefillin with him. And as he's taking off the tefillin, he says, tell me something. About five minutes ago, you're going to rip my head off. Why are you putting on film with me now? He says, I heard the man's question, and I heard your answer. That's a type of God I can get along with. Let's dissect what's going on here. A God who makes a deal with you. Like it says in the verse, and if you will follow my statutes and you will do my mitzvot, I will give you blessings. And if not, there's, there's tikkun to be done. That God he didn't get along with. Don't make no deals with me. 
And he's right. In a certain way, he's right. Very nice of you, God. You gave us a land amongst three, 300 million best friends that we have. The situation is, is you know, where our boys are going from young ages. Uh, almost every family in Israel knows someone that was in green when he was killed for his country, for his people. And you're making deals with me? So he has his questions on this God. He doesn't want to have that type of relationship with God. And this Jew obviously didn't put on tefillin. Because if he'd be a Jew that puts on tefillin, Rabbi Bolton wouldn't have had to ask him if you'd like to today put on tefillin. And if he didn't put on tefillin, he probably was one of the people that knew exactly where in Israel you can buy basalavan, which is another word for pig, to eat, pork. So we can consider this a Jew of the desert, so to speak. And he had no, no connectionship to a relationship with God. Who says, if you do, I'll do. No, thank you. I got a wife for that. I don't need you, God. He doesn't want that relationship. But when he hears, what did he hear? He heard about the ta'anug atzmi. He heard about the relationship where the kid who is a, a nightmare on PTA and teachers or whatever it's called, teachers, parents, night. The kid who eats his or her heart up alive. And mommy loves you. And Tati loves you. Now because you realize that you've tested them on every level and there's no logical reason, in quotes, for them to love you. And yet they unconditionally love you. Can you change your behavior? When the soldier heard that the relationship is not about what I do for you and what you do for me. I don't need that type of God. I don't need that type of God. That relationship I can have with humans. But I have a relationship with a God who's telling me, I unconditionally love you. Don't ask me why, because I don't have a reason. There's no logic. There's nothing there. There's nothing a Jew can do for God that God won't have on his own. As the prophet says, and you've sinned, you've hurt me. If you did a mitzvah, you helped me. Really? When we do a mitzvah, does that make God bigger? Woe to such a God. Woe to the person who has such a God. And really, if I ate lobster, God's really disappointed. I destroyed him. So there's a certain level in, in God where it doesn't make a difference what you do for me. I love you because you are me. End the story. You are me. So therefore, whether you're sitting in the city, whether you're sitting in the field, or whether you're sitting in the desert fighting everything that reflects me, I love you. When that soldier heard that, he heard that we got it all messed up. We had dysfunctional teachers, we had dysfunctional parents, and they messed it up. They made it sound like my relationship with God depends on what I do for Him. And therefore, because it depends on what I do for Him, it can also be destroyed to the point of no return. If my relationship with God can be destroyed to the point of no return, I'm not sure I want to have a relationship with this God. Why start? 
But if you're telling me that my relationship with God does not depend on what I do. There's not a thing in the world that I can do that will ever take me to the point of no return with God. I can actually make an entire business out of desert life and God will still love me. When I hear that, then comes the second question. Now that you know that God is so vulnerable to you and he so unconditionally loves you, can you maybe come from the desert to the field just to greet him? He's there for you. The mere fact that the Jew in the desert, and let's not make it sound like it's um, some, wow, Jew in the desert, I, I, that must have been the worst Jew in the world. Such a Jew is talking to you now, in my own way. I've got my desert areas with God. Sorry if I'm letting you down, but I definitely have my desert areas with God. Total rebellion, total resentment, total anger. I got my issues. So when you see that even such a Jew, he knows that God left the palace, God came to the field. Yes, God's going to come to the field and not to the desert, but he's going to make sure that I in the desert know that he's willing to accept me. Tell me, I don't know how many of you ever had problems with your dad. Or in reverse, as a dad had a problem with your child. Do you know how many family fights remain non-resolved simply because of the question, who's going to reach out first? Think about it. Think how many friends you're plotting to get back in touch with. But I'll be dead before I call them first. You kidding me? After what they did to me, I should call them first? Don't you understand if I do that, I'm actually asking for another beating? No, 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 I'm sorry. If they call me, of course I'll make up. But I'm not calling. There's a limit. This is not humility, this is humiliation. And all of a sudden you hear that after everything, the Jew in the desert, not the Jew in the field, the Jew in the desert hears that God is standing on the borderline of the field. And he already knows that God is unconditionally accepting him. All he needs to do is come. Come to the king. Not in the palace. Don't deal with the bureaucracy. Don't have to answer to anyone. The king alone in the field is standing there ready to greet you. And the question is why? Why? Go ask the soldier in Israel. He heard why. He understood why. And he came to the king. That you don't have on Yom Kippur. That you don't have on Rosh Hashanah. That you don't have on Seret Yimei Tshuva. Because that is in the palace. In the palace there's bureaucracy. There's who can come in, who can't come in. How long you have to wait for your appointment and why are you coming? Forms have to be filled out in triplets and many different offices have to okay this. Elul. Elul is where God is searching the man in the desert. The man who has totally denied any relationship with God. 
the person who really can't stand being called a chosen nation. I have a lot of those Jews. Don't, don't so call me chosen nation, chosen, chosen. All men are created equal. And everything is true. But the Jew who totally disassociates himself from anything that looks or smells Jewish. Jackie Mason. Ever hear his piece over there? And halftime. Every Gentile says, I'm a hit. The Jewish people keep on saying, too Jewish. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be associated with the too Jewish. And that's the Jew who God is waiting for. God came out, not waiting for, let me correct that. Left the palace, came out into the field, told everyone around him, all the big machas, move away. I don't want you in between me and my son. That touches the essence of the Jew. So it isn't God reaching out to him. Do you know how I hear this teaching? I hear this teaching as God sees that one of his children is stripped naked. Naked of any divine image. So what does God do? How I hear this teaching God goes out to the field and strips naked and says, I'm here for you just because you are my child. Forget the stains. Forget the mess. It's you and me. That doesn't even happen in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. There's a statement. Mi yale bahar Hashem. We say it in Rosh Hashanah, right? After every service at night. After Amidah. Who goes up to the mountain of God? There's a whole list of prerequisites. You have to be honest, not have stolen money. There's a whole list. Not everyone's allowed up the mountain of God. In the month of Elul, there's no list. There's no list. God's talking to the Jew. Not what he's done. Not the Torah Jew. Not the mitzvah Jew. Here's a kicker, because this is a line you don't find often. Normally when we talk about this type of conversation, we'll add on, and that's the power of teshuva. Teshuva means that the Torah can't help you because you severed the relationship. But teshuva says that because I'm God's child, therefore, even when the Torah says, you're done, teshuva says, you're not done. You're willing to come back home. God's ready to accept you. Right? That's what you normally say. The power of teshuva is the ultimate power of the Jew, which overrides even the laws of the Shulchan Aruch. Even when there are certain statements in the Talmud that says that such a Jew we won't accept back no more. And not only did he sin, he got other Jews to sin. All these different things. Comes along the deepest teaching and says that when a Jew adamantly says, there is no point and no return between God and me, I am coming back home, the Jew will win. So normally when we talk about this, here comes the, the, the joker card. Ah, Jews, you need to do teshuva. In this teaching, the Rebbe is so clear that the Jew, the essence of the Jew is even greater than the mitzvah of teshuva. That means not that the God loves the naked Jew because God knows that the naked Jew can do teshuva. That would be again a reason if it's a reason, it's not pure. If it's not pure, it's breakable and changeable. So the Jew that swears he'll never do teshuva, 
No. God loves this Jew not because he did Torah mitzvot, because he didn't. Not because he was aroused to do teshuvah, because he didn't. Nothing. Nothing. Drop reason. And it's very hard to do this in a class, because the class is all about reasoning. I'm not sitting here with a guitar and, and, and having mushrooms with you guys. We're talking. So how do you do that? How do I talk to you logically and tell you, forget the logic? Because if not, you're not going to touch what we're really talking about. Because what we're really talking about is not talkable. It doesn't make sense. It's very simple. Strip the Jew of everything, the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. Take everything away, and what are you going to see? A child of God. Of course, that's the most painful sight. See a child of God look like that. But bottom line, what are you going to see? A child of God. If it's a child of God, then God is standing in the field telling that child, no conditions, no nothing. Come here and I will hug you. Welcome back home. Understand what happens when such a Jew... And let's not take such a Jew. Again, we're making it such a Jew. Imagine if that piece of me, me, me. Imagine if that piece of me comes back home. Imagine if that piece of me, the rebel in the desert, a rebel without a cause. Imagine that piece of me can finally hear what that secular, non-religious, maybe even anti-dati soldier in the Jeep was able to hear. Imagine what it was when that Jew put on tefillin. Guys, entertain me a moment. Let's talk about the flip side. The Jew who wanted to put on tefillin in order to come back home alive, why was he putting on tefillin? Not because of God, because of himself, because of his wife, because of his kids. That Jew who had the audacity right before he was going into the battlefield, a high risk of not coming back alive. You got to love this guy. This guy tells the rabbi, not only says, no, thank you. He tells him, I'm going to rip your head off. You got to love this guy. This guy is real. Most of us, we're all brave in the comfort of North Miami. But when we're in the bunkers, huh, none of us are going to mess with God. We wouldn't say half the things that we say about Judaism. Kadosh, slicha, kapara. We know it. We all know what to say. This guy was so real. He was sitting on the Jeep. Look at this desert Jew. He's sitting on the Jeep about to walk into bombshells. He tells the rabbi, if you don't get away from me, I'm going to rip your head off your shoulders. Then he hears the conversation. He tells the Jew, come back. Put tefillin on me. Tell me, why did he put on tefillin? Why did he put on tefillin? Was it to come back home alive? Not. He clearly said, for that, I'll rip your head off. You understand how beautiful a naked Jew in the desert is? When the naked Jew in the desert finally hears, the war is over. God loves me. End the story. I can stop fighting with him. He really loves me. And when he puts on tefillin, there's only one reason why he puts on tefillin. You know why? Because that's what the unconditional God asked him to do. Now, Jews, let's make eye-to-eye -eye contact here. How many of us, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, pray because God asks us to pray? 
Because what we're really doing is negotiating our hearts out. God, please, let my kids be healthy. All right, I'll start studying more. God, please, let there be peace in my home. Okay, God, I'll stop talking Lashon Hara. God, please, give me Parnasa. All right, I'll give charity. That's what our Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur sounds like. We're sitting there all holy, covered with a talit, but who are we really thinking about? We're really thinking about me, 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 and me, which includes me, my family, and my bookkeeper. That's what it really boils down to. Here's a desert Jew who when he or she puts on tefillin, there's no me. It's the naked child finally embracing the naked parent. That is what's going to start, my friends, this Tuesday. This Tuesday starts Rosh Chodesh Elul. Wednesday starts the shofar. The shofar is the beautiful embodiment of what we're talking about. It's not a Beethoven. It's not a beautiful prayer. There isn't mystical unifications of letters. It's a simple sound. It's a simple sound. It's the Jew in the desert and God who have not had conversation starting to communicate. It's the essence of a Jew and the essence of God. Not the righteous who has it all figured out, who knows all the Kabbalistic stuff. Not the people who knows all the segulot and what to do and when to do it. It's not the people in the field who know that for me to get a bracha and parnasah, I better put on tefillin, I better start keeping Shabbat. No. It's the desert Jew, the barren desert Jew, the one who's naked from anything that looks or smells Jewish. And all he has to offer God is not a prayer, not a song, not a meaningful meditation, the sound of the shofar. Just simple, from the small hole to the big hole. From the small essence of the Jew to the infinite essence of God. That starts this month of Elul. And thus you understand that when such a Jew comes back home, everything changes. Everything changes. The tzaddik next to him, two different worlds. The righteous person, there's reasons why God loves him. It's very hard to see that the God loves the tzaddik, just simply loves him. Because it just makes so much sense. But when that barren Jew, when that desert Jew, God loves him or her for no other reason that God loves this Jew. So when this Jew comes to shul, it's a whole different dynamic. We're finally talking about the pure relationship, the pure lighting Shabbos candles, the pure putting on tefillin. You know, this is a recording, and many people hear this, and that's the reason why in the last couple of classes I've mentioned this. So I'm going to talk about it again, very briefly. In recovery, in any addiction recovery, please understand you're talking about the ultimate barren desert relationship. In this area of addiction, 
this person is absolutely lost of any divine image. He or she are totally powerless. Totally powerless. No logic, no nothing. He or she swore off drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it may be, a million times over. They just can't. Do you know the only thing, according to the 12-step program, which has proven itself not the only way back home, but a very powerful way back home. You know the only thing that can help an addict? Step three. The only thing that can help an addict is for that addict in the desert to hear what that soldier on the tank heard. You're an addict. You destroyed your life. You destroyed your family. You destroyed everything. You're sleeping in the gutter. You're the lowest of the lowest. We got that straight. Now let's get something else straight. Right where you are right now, God loves you. Not only does God love you, God left the palace and God told all of the protocol people to leave. They don't belong between you and him. If we can just hear Elul, if we can hear what God is really telling us, we're so busy in Elul with these huge speeches, how you better start saying Tehillim, you better start fasting, you have to wake up for Slichot, and you have to do this. Don't you know? It's the day of judgment. Are you kidding me? Another year like last year? <laughs> God forbid. And it's going to get worse. And now when we start listening to this stuff, by the way, it's all true. It's all true. But I think there's something else we have to hear way before we hear any of those things. And that's the class you heard tonight. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up a second. Let's, let's clarify the playing field. There is no point of no return. There is no point of no return. And regardless of all the tough love you went through, your parents kicked you out of the house, you, you're lost. You're lost. You're barely a sack of bones with needle holes all over your arms. You look in the mirror, you hate yourself. You hate yourself, you hate your parents, you hate your God. And all of a sudden you hear one thing. God left everything. Got everyone out of the way. He came to the edge of the field. And he's standing there with a smile. He's already accepted you. Because he's never stopped loving you. You touch such an Elul. And I dare you not to have a beautiful Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and a beautiful year. People, thank you.